Hey friends, it's me, Nashua, and you're about to listen to a very special extended teaser I did with friend of the pod, Arif Hassan, with special guest Noam Chomsky. Hope you all enjoy. You mentioned, uh, so in the spirit of, of that final thing you said about, you know, steady and engaged, you know, work and participation, earlier you mentioned that it's inappropriate to call uh, New Deal style policies democratic socialism or socialism in any reasonable sense. Um, and, and that makes a lot of sense. Uh, and in 2016, um, you kind of elucidated a little bit about the way that we can continue to build on, you know, kind of the ethic of care that exists in a baseline civil society, like you described in an interview. You said, I think we find that there are live and vital moments of radical democracy often with elements of anarchist and communist ideas and participation during periods of upheaval and turbulence. And, and here in Minneapolis, I've seen elements of this in the aftermath of, of some of the uprisings that occurred uh, after George Floyd's murder, uh, an increase in the popularity of mutual aid cooperatives, resistance to the idea of policing, increased activism surrounding housing and renter strikes. What, what can we do to use that spark to inspire the spirit of democratic participation and cooperative ethics, while also finding ways to continue to hold power accountable to when they seem to accommodate. So for example, the city council of Minneapolis said that they would commit to defunding the police and exactly zero progress has been made on that front. Well, that's what happened in 2008, 2009. Promises were made. Activism didn't compel the promises to be implemented. The promises are made. Good, let's step forward. Now hold their feet to the fire. Don't back off. You have to recognize the promises are not going to be implemented unless there's pressure. If the pressure continues, there's a good chance that to some extent they'll be implemented. That's what happens. Every case you can think of. Let's take uh, Richard Nixon, again, not our favorite character, but he was the last liberal president in the United States. He did implement significant liberal laws, environmental protection, uh, occupational safety and health protection for working people, other liberal laws. Why? It's not because... He was such a lovely man that he thought that everybody should have a wonderful life. And it's because of constant pressure. And think where that pressure was coming from. A lot of it was coming from the labor movement. The leading environmentalists at the time were Tony Mazaki's union, oil, chemical, and atomic workers union. They were the ones pressing for environmental protection. They were the earliest organized active environmentalists. And it's understandable. Oil and chemical workers are right at the forefront. They're the ones who are being poisoned by the methane gas emissions and so on. Sure, they want protection. And they're perfectly interested in uh, turning to other forms of energy which won't destroy their communities. So, and Tony Mazaki continued with this tried to form a Labour Party later, third party based on Labour, with uh, the unions in the forefront. Reagan and Thatcher knew what they were doing when they destroyed, moved to destroy the unions. Well, that can all be uh, 
And in fact, the legislation was enacted. It was real. Uh, there were also uh, activist strikes. You go back to uh, Lordstown, for example, in the early 70s, young workers, many of whom were Vietnam veterans, other people who'd been affected by the activism of the 60s. But they were not just calling for higher wages. They were calling for control of the workspace, the workplace, control of their lives, dignified life. And that's a step towards real major institutional change. Why do we need bosses? It's not the first time that's happened. You go back to the New Deal. This is my childhood. I remember my family was mostly unemployed working class, labor activists, Communist Party, and others. When the sit-down strikes began around 1934, 1935, that sent a chill through the mainstream establishment. A sit-down strike is just one step before saying, we can run this place by ourselves. At that point, you had a sympathetic administration that responded with New Deal measures, which were very, they were, they were no, they were not far enough for even my understanding as a six-year-old, but certainly not today, but they were very significant. Um, and the fact that we have Social Security, uh, TVA, uh, conservation programs, okay, that's, that's very significant better life than if we didn't have them. And it's the basis for moving on. But the point is, time after time, when there is continued extensive pressure, even threatening the structure of institutions, then you get a reaction. You let off the pressure, you're not going to get a reaction. They're not going to do it on their own. We're in an interesting period right now with regard to the whole neoliberal programs. The corporate sector knows that they're in trouble. They know it. Uh, the business roundtable, the main business lobby, recently organized uh, 150 or so top executives from the main banks and firms. And they came out with a statement saying, uh, we apologize to the public we realize we've been doing things that were wrong. We weren't working enough in your interests as we're supposed to do. We were a little too self-centered, but we've overcome it. Now we realize that, that we're going to be nice guys. So put your trust in us. And the same happened at the last Davos meetings. Every January, the rich and the powerful gather at a fancy ski resort in Switzerland and go to parties and talk about how wonderful they are, Hollywood stars and so on. Uh, this last January was different. The theme was exactly the same as the business roundtable. We have to recognize we made a mistake. We have to return to our humanist roots and recognize that we really have to work for all you stakeholders out there. So put your trust in us because we're reformed. Uh, you go back to the 1950s, similar things. And it was, we're going to be soulful corporations, not just after ourselves, but soulful. Okay? If you back off, you know what's going to happen. 
but you don't have to back off. You know, keep up the pressure thing. Thank you for the nice words. Now do something. And they are. So for example, the big banks are concerned now with what they call reputational risks. That's a fancy word that means the peasants are coming with their pitchforks. We got to do something. And they're in fact are doing something. Not enough, of course, but something. Like they're pulling back from investment in fossil fuels. Okay. That might save, save society from destruction. It's not a small thing. It's not like being taken over and becoming publicly controlled banks. It's not that. But it's a step. It's a step forward. And you can make that happen too. The post office, which is one of the most popular institutions in the country, which is one of the reasons why it's hated by the establishment, and they consistently, constantly trying to destroy it, can be used for public services, public banking, public insurance, obviously voting, other many other things. All of that is perfectly possible. And in fact, uh, there are organizations working hard on it to try to implement it, like uh, the New Systems Project, which is also involved in setting up uh, worker-owned enterprises. All of these things are possible. The system of domination and control is quite fragile. It really is, and they know it. If people withdraw their consent from it, they're finished. You know, power is actually in the hands of the general population if they grasp the opportunities. So I think there are plenty of things that can be done. And uh, going back to your example, if we stop at the point where the city council says, here's what we're going to do, they're going to do nothing. Okay, Just same with Obama's pretty words, everybody else's pretty words. The business roundtable is pretty words. Soulful corporations. You say, okay, we'll trust you. You're out of luck. They have their own interests. They know what they are. We have to remember that the business classes are dedicated Marxists. They believe passionately in class struggle, and they're always involved in it. The values are inverted. But other than that, they're the most dedicated Marxists in the society. Yes, there's a vicious class struggle going on, and we're going to win it. I will do anything we have to do to win it. If you let them do it, they'll win. Hi, now that you've heard a long, chunky teaser for the, our episode with Noam Chomsky, we hope that you want to hear the full thing. And if you do, you can subscribe to the Substack Premium, which is a mix of more writing. And you get nice emails from me or even the Substack Freeze, fine, but you won't get the full Chunky Chomsky episode. But if you uh, subscribe to Premium, you will. Or if you're a Patreon person, you can subscribe to Patreon forward slash Habibti, please. The $5 level, you'll get the full Chomsky episode. 10 upwards, you'll get video from it unedited with some fun scenes. At the $5 level, you'll also get our post show where we do some discussion around the answers we got, a bit about the process, my nerves, and what we didn't get to ask. So yeah, thanks for listening and thanks for the support. Bye.